I'm Carol Speakerman, and this is Speakerman Speaks Retail, presented by MarketScale. Hey, everyone, it's Carol, and welcome to Episode 25 of Speakerman Speaks Retail, where we navigate retail from now to next by tracking my latest retail trajectories and through interviews with retail experts who help us chart the course. My focus is on perfecting your B2B positioning wherever you play in retail. And over the past few episodes, we've been focusing on some really big retail topics to help do that. Things like the future of brick and mortar, the acceleration of solutions and services in retail, and all kinds of brand strategy shifts that just keep evolving. But a new vibe is starting to ripple across retail, and I'm sure you're starting to feel it too. A kind of cautious enthusiasm where everybody's got a little bit more pep in their step. And I'm starting to see this manifest in a lot of different ways. Trade groups are booking live events again. Brand marketers are planning in-person meetings, in some cases for the first time in over a year. And they tell me that their calls are getting returned, and they're starting to make more long-term plans with their partners. And at the same time, consumers are starting to creep back into stores. In fact, I spoke to a retailer just yesterday who told me that they had their best weekend on record just last weekend. That's what's driving a lot of this retail optimism. So the momentum is rolling, and I thought it'd be a great time to shift gears and put the strategy piece front and center so that you can start to take advantage as we move into third and fourth quarter. Now that folks are daring to feel good about things again, I'm going to share some challenges that so many companies think are their own dirty little secrets and that everybody else somehow has a better handle on. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. So I'm going to drag some of these tricky topics out into the light so you'll see that you're not alone, and also so you'll know exactly what to do about it as you ramp up going into the end of the year. And even though retail is always going to be our lens, everything that we talk about will parlay to any of your B2B situations and opportunities. I'm dedicating this episode to what I call happy accidents. Two words that seem to be at odds with one another, but that sum up a really big challenge and a really big opportunity perfectly. And as flighty and light as that term happy accident sounds, don't take them lightly, because in my experience, happy accidents are a major growth driver and an opportunity for so many suppliers. And this is particularly true as we emerge out of the COVID crisis. And we'll talk about why in just a minute. Happy accidents are basically your secret weapon because they're products and services that you didn't plan, but that you made or launched anyway. They're already in your wheelhouse. And if you're like many of my clients, there are plenty of reasons to be super happy about that. You should be happy about your happy accidents, because you and your teams probably didn't know you had it in you, but you made it happen. And you should be happy because you probably realized after you did make it happen, that it made sense all along. You might even be thinking, why didn't we do this sooner? You're happy because this new thing might have real potential beyond the situation that pushed you into it in the first place. But how did you get pushed into it? Why was it an accident? I find that the reasons usually fall into one of three categories. Either your customer loves what you do or make and asked if you could make or do a new thing, and you did, and it worked. Or they asked you to make or do the new thing, and you did, but then they left you hanging. But still, you made it or did it, so maybe it's time to think about how to monetize it someplace else. Or you went out on a limb to complete an RFP or some other competitive grab on impulse, and one of the situations that I just mentioned kicked in. It either worked or it didn't, but still, you got the ball rolling on that new thing, your happy accident. 
But regardless of the motivation and the backstory, your happy accident wasn't planned. That's why it was an accident. And that's also why everything gets wacky. Happy accidents tend to trigger insecurity, and insecurity is a business killer. So happy accidents are a big focus for me because on one hand, they can trigger that deadly insecurity, but it's also true that they can be transformational to your business. For that to happen, you have to identify and own your happy accidents. And here's how that usually plays out in my work. I'll be going through my clients' portfolios and capabilities with them. And then, usually when we get to case studies, something will just leap out at me. My client will be talking about something they did for a particular customer, and one of these things just isn't like the other case studies. It's an anomaly. Now, usually the client is anxious to move on and not get into it, which is when I start to dig deeper. I'll ask them, hey, why was this thing a one-off? And then I'll go through a litany of possibilities. I mean, did everything crash and burn from that happy accident so they never vowed to do it again? Was the new thing an exclusive that they just couldn't offer to anybody else? Or was the new thing unprofitable or eating up all kinds of resources or just not scalable? In most cases, the answer is no across the board. In fact, many of my clients' happy accidents are super relevant to their positioning in the market and what their clients really care about and where they want to go next. So why the heck aren't they lather, rinse, repeating that happy accident all over the place? That's when that insecurity kicks in, because it was a happy accident that they never really owned. They sometimes don't even think they deserve to make money off of it. Or they treated that happy accident as an anomaly from the beginning, and they never plugged it into their platform, so it never had a chance. So I'm going to give you a few real-world examples of happy accidents across different companies before we get into how to harness your happy accidents. How about a client that was in the kids' business and created a successful pet products line for one customer? Now, in this case, the happy accident was about category expansion. Or a licensing company, one that usually sources products under other brands' names, otherwise known as a licensee. They happen to create a full line of private label products for one customer on request. So in this case, the happy accident was an entirely new business model. Or how about a retail merchandising company that launched a store associate training program? In this case, the happy accident was about a service expansion. And when we talk about solutions and services and technology playing a bigger role in retail, there are so many companies that normally work with hardware that are now producing software or software companies that are partnering with other companies to provide hardware. And happy accidents have just exploded as companies pivoted during COVID into new categories, into new business models, and into new services. Just as retailers are realizing that all the contortions they had to go through during COVID are actually making them more competitive in a post-COVID world, most COVID-era happy accidents are going to absolutely be relevant and even essential as things go back to being, I guess what you would call, sort of normal. So there are a lot of examples, but hopefully you get the gist and you see how pervasive happy accidents are. All of it makes me giddy because I love turning happy accidents into ownable advantages, even in my own business, because happy accidents have fueled my business throughout my career. So now that we know what it looks like, let's dig in on three rules that will help you stop minimizing your good work and start owning and parlaying your happy accidents. Rule number one is, don't call it an accident in the first place. Do you think your customers are going to get excited about something when you're shuffling your feet and saying that you stumbled into it? 
You don't have to fess up. No one needs to know that your happy accident was an accident because the fact is you actually did it. So rule number two is own it. And you can do this in a few ways. You can position your happy accident as a beta test. Now you're rolling it out to new customers that have similar profiles and goals. You can also say that you identified a hole in the market. And based on your customers' needs and goals and where you see retail going next, you rolled it out and you already have a new customer for it. You can say that your happy accident did start as a customer request, but only because your customers always want you to do more for them. They love working with you and they trust you to only take on what you're really good at. Positioning matters. And companies can get way too literal and even confessional. I've seen this a lot with manufacturers over the years. One international manufacturer that I work with, they count some of the biggest retailers out there as customers, and they've built their business on specific categories and processes, and they've been really successful with them. Because of the great work they did, a client asked if they could produce another category. And it's a category that would seem like a completely logical extension to anybody in the business or even outside of it. But because it falls outside of what they've done for years, they were almost apologetic about that business. And you could instantly see that on their website, in their content marketing, and definitely in conversations with their company executives and sales teams. It really came across like a confession, like somehow this business just popped up out of nowhere and landed in their lap and they had nothing to do with it. So basically, they weren't putting their best foot forward and they were daring their customers to grow with them. They were expecting their customers to see their value even when they weren't owning it. This wasn't even why the company wanted us to work together in the first place. They didn't see their happy accident as a problem or an opportunity. But once we ironed out their overarching positioning and their business development processes, we just plugged it right back into their platform and they've gone on to sell it to multiple existing customers and new prospects. It's become their top growth driver. That takes us to rule number three. Plug your happy accidents into your existing positioning. Try not to make it look like a crazy one-off or an exception. In other words, ditch that insecurity and self-consciousness, then pull it into your strategic positioning. This is one of the biggest outcomes of my platform positioning workshops. Once we're done, everything has a place. Everything is simple. It all makes sense. And there's always room for more, including your happy accidents. Your happy accident shouldn't have to stand out like a sore thumb. They'll just tuck right in and support the rest of your platform. That's the goal. Another reason why happy accidents languish is because sales teams can be disconnected. Happy accidents become orphans when salespeople who weren't involved in them aren't brought into the loop. I hear it all the time. They'll say, oh, that thing they did with such and such customer, well, that doesn't really apply to my customers. Or, I don't know enough about it, so I really don't feel comfortable selling it. So it's so important to evangelize your happy accidents within your organization, because that's the first step to integrating and parlaying them into new opportunities. A side note here that probably could warrant its own episode, maybe we'll even do that, but sometimes my clients tell me they aren't comfortable talking about their happy accidents because of competitive issues, or maybe one or more of their customers just don't want to be referred to by name. But that doesn't mean you can't talk about the happy accidents that they spark. In fact, you can use it to your advantage. You can say that the work you did or the product you launched was super successful and part of a highly sensitive project for a major client. If somebody won't give you an opportunity because you won't go on to name names, 
They're just making excuses not to do business with you. Let's take a minute to talk about unhappy accidents, which usually come in the form of things companies do for free. Things that they've thrown in for particular customers, but they could get paid for by others. The only thing that makes them unhappy accidents is not getting paid. So just because you gave it away at some point doesn't mean it can't be monetized later with someone else. So think about that too. So here's your homework. At your next strategy session or team Zoom, put a happy accident discussion session on the agenda. Identify and inventory your happy accidents, whether they're business models, categories, products, or services, and have an honest discussion about their potential and why they haven't been repeated and monetized. Maybe they shouldn't be, but you'll never know until you bring it up and hash it out. And I'll bet that someone on your team has had a niggling feeling about it all along, and they'll be so glad that you brought it up. Don't allow your happy accidents to gather dust. Uncover them. Own them. Monetize them. You did it. Now just keep doing it. I love taking on positioning problems and opportunities and helping companies really own their value. If you do too, then stay tuned for future episodes. Things are going to get really exciting going into the end of the year. I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, ideas, or stories to share. You can ping me at carol at speakermanretail.com or hit my site at speakermanretail.com to check out more insights, subscribe to my updates, and get the latest on my presentations, events, and other happenings. I'll see you next time and happy selling. Happy selling.